0: That was a video clip of the Chilean miners that were rescued last year, and that story just it moves us emotionally when we see the miners reunited with their loved ones, doesn't it? And uh, it's just one of those stories that connects. It connects with our heart, and also, you know what? It connects with the heart of God as well, because God loves freedom, and God wants everyone to be free. So that's what we're going to talk about today with the Year of Jubilee. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. And uh, we just give you this time. Help us to open our hearts to your message, Lord. Help me to speak it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jubilee was one of several traditions on the Jewish calendar that seems to speak uh, to the Israelites, and it speaks to all of humanity. And what I want us to see this morning is that even way back then and all the way up until today, God has been saying to us, to humanity, I want you to be free. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 16, verse uh, starting in verse 29. We're going to look at something called the Day of Atonement, which is one of these traditions set up by God to bring about Uh, this freedom that he wants for us, and it's sort of like a mini version of the year of Jubilee. So Leviticus 16, starting in verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do no work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. So the Day of Atonement came around once a year, and all of your sins, everything that you've ever done wrong, was covered over by the act of the priest making a sacrifice of atonement. So let's take it a step further and let's look at the year of Jubilee. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 8. And the year of Jubilee is kind of like the Day of Atonement on steroids. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's building off the Day of Atonement and taking it to a whole nother level. So Leviticus 25, verse 8 through 10. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your own family property and to your own clan. A year of liberty. Meaning that if you were a slave, you were freed. You were able to go home to your home family. You were free. And you know what, back then... There was a similarity that we have today in that people got into debt really easily, and it was a serious problem. And if you got into debt up to your eyeballs by, example, borrowing money for land, which is what happened a lot, and you had nowhere else to turn, you could sell yourself into slavery, basically, to your debtors uh, to pay off that debt, however long that took. But every 50th year, Jubilee, your debts were forgiven, you were set free of all your obligations to your master, And you went home to your family and the piece of land that you borrowed money against and lost, you'd get it back. Imagine that today. Um, You know, all your credit cards, all of your car payments, all of your mortgage payments are wiped clean, all that debt is paid. And uh, in addition to that, all of your sins were covered over because it was also the Day of Atonement. So this was a pretty big deal every 50 years. It was a really big deal, and people got really excited when they blew the trumpet and announced the year of Jubilee because all their debts were cleaned off. Debt's a pretty terrible thing, right? Uh, It can be, and I'll get a little personal here. I was in debt a little while ago with a truck that I bought, and uh, so Mac and I went out, and we bought a Dodge Nitro. It was this totally awesome truck that I loved, but we couldn't afford it. At the time, I knew Mac, my wife, wasn't too comfortable with the idea, but I kind of pushed the issue. We were driving a smaller car, and the AC was going out. Someone's name, I will not mention, turned into a curb and tore the whole side molding off the car. I had the side molding in my office leaning up against the wall. And every time I'd be sitting there typing, I'd look at that six foot side molding and just be like, I want a new car. I was just getting impatient. And so I started to think you know, we've got a kid, we've got a family, we, We've winter's coming, I wish we had something a little bit bigger, more room, 4 by 4 So I went and took out a loan and got a car that I couldn't afford. So, unfortunately, that was a bad decision. And I'm not criticizing anyone who takes out a loan for a car, I'm just saying in our situation... This was a bad, bad decision. It was a bad idea, and especially because my wife wasn't comfortable with it. So not only was I in debt to the bank, but I also felt this sense of emotional debt between me and my wife. And that is awful. It tore me apart for months. Alex and Dave would see me come into the office just distraught over this, and and it hung over me. And I felt like I couldn't get out. I felt trapped. The weight was crushing me. I just felt like I couldn't get out. And I'd be sitting there in my office, and I'd see that side molding in my car because I hadn't thrown it away yet. And uh, I guess because I'm lazy or something. But I'd just sit there and be like, I want my old car back. Give me the broken air conditioner and the car that, you know, is falling apart. I just want to be out of this debt. And it wasn't so much the financial debt. It was the emotional debt, mostly, between me and my wife. And so finally we cut our losses we put the car up for sale and eventually it sold and we were able to sell it off and pay it off one hundred percent pay off that debt and i changed overnight basically uh... there was this peace between me and my wife that hadn't been there for a long time even before we took out the loan because through this process i was learning a lot about myself how i like things and uh... learning a lot about my wife and marriage and it was just a growing experience and This was all over a car, but to us, I mean, this was a really big deal, and finally I felt a sense of freedom from that. And there's a sense of freedom that you get when your debts are paid off, right? And God wants us to feel that same sense of peace and freedom between us and Him. Our debt is gone, and just like I felt that overwhelming peace with my wife, we can feel a more powerful peace between us and the Father, God wants that for us. God wants us to be free. Anyone ever been in a tight spot financially and have somebody bail you out? A couple of years ago, my wife and I, we lived in Florida, and in addition to my worship-leading duties, I drove a forklift at a workhouse full-time. That was a real fun time. I plowed it into a wall once, so if you're in the mood for a laugh, go ahead and ask me about it. I'll be happy to oblige so anyway, uh, one day, one of our co-workers was walking through the aisles, and she was crying. Her face was blood red, and you could tell that she wasn't just in an emotional pain, but she was in some serious physical pain. And uh, she was a single mom. She was struggling to make ends meet. And when you struggle to make ends meet, you compromise in certain areas. And one of the areas that she was compromising in was a cavity that was infected, and the infection was in danger, of spreading to the other parts of her head. And that's where it was getting really dangerous. So she hadn't gotten fixed because she was broke, trying to make ends meet with a one-year-old single mom. So Mac and I probed, my wife and I, we probed until we could find out, you know, what, how much is it going to cost to get this thing fixed? 50 bucks. That was it. And so Mac and I, we took a lunch break, and we went to the bank, and we took out 50 bucks. You know, we didn't have Sam at the time, so it wasn't a stretch for us. And we came back to the, to the warehouse, and we walked up to her, and si- we said, here, here's $50, go get your tooth fixed. I mean, goodness sakes, please. And, and she said, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. And she already started tearing up a little bit, just so very thankful. And she said, I'll pay you back as soon as I get my paycheck. And we said, no, no, you take this. This is for you. You need this. And don't worry about paying us back. But she was insistent but I, I, I finally I looked her in the eye and I said no you take it keep it it's yours she had this sense that she didn't deserve to be helped out but she did and when I said to her you take it she had this intense emotional reaction and you could tell that no one had done something like this for her before Something like a $50 cavity was a really big deal to her and we, will, we were able to bless her in that and God was able to use us to do that. And God sees us in our pain, in our emotional and pain and in our sin and he says, I want you to be free. You take it. And he's been speaking that message to us throughout histories with Jubilee and even before that. He wants us to be free. The word atonement means to cover over. So each year on the Day of Atonement, the sins of the people were covered over, and in addition, on the year of Jubilee, all their financial debts were forgiven, and they were released, set free, to go home to their own clan. But as far as sins are concerned, if you cover over something, which is the meaning of the word atonement, it's kind of still there, right? You just cover over it. But what humanity needed was for something, someone... To take away our debt of sin. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11. And we're going to look in the New Testament and find where God brings this all together through Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future, and now his work is done. That's why he sits down at the right hand of the Father. What do you do when you're done with your work? You sit down. So Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus says to you now, your spiritual debts are forgiven. Everything that you've ever done wrong has been paid off. My work is done and you are forgiven. God wants us to be free. And Jesus has paid that price to set us free. And now he wants us to walk and that freedom and forgiveness. He paid the price for our freedom. We're going to have a time of communion right now. And when we remember that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. And I was thinking about this yesterday. and thought it would be good for a communion thought to share with you guys before we take communion. Think about it this way. If you died so that someone in prison could be set free... And then somehow you came back to life and you realized that they were still in prison because of this overwhelming sense of guilt that they deserved to be there. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't that be awful? Grace is there for us every day. Every time we fall. And it's almost like a daily command. Jesus died for us to give us freedom, to give us grace, to free us from our debt of sin. So now... You take it. It's here offered for you. So what happens after the year of Jubilee starts and all the slaves are freed and they go home to their native land? There's a whole year there. What happens? Let's, uh, let's, let's read on and find out. Look in your Bibles further on in Leviticus to chapter 25, verse 11. On the 50th year, For the fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. So what does that mean back then? What did that mean? Here's what it means. And this is going to blow your mind. This is basically a whole year where you did no work. Seriously, a year-long vacation, paid vacation, for a year, and uh, that's pretty crazy. Can I get an amen? Who would like that? (laughs) So this was a pretty interesting concept, and God wanted his people to rest and renew themselves in him. And also, while they're resting, he asked that they trust that he would provide for them. So let's look further on in Leviticus 25 at Verse 18 through 19. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. God asked the Israelites to plant no crops in that year of Jubilee, and they were to trust that the crops from the year before Jubilee would last during the year of Jubilee, until they were able to plant more crops. God asked the Israelites to trust him, that he will provide. And as they're trusting, they rest in him for an entire year. This is another way that God can free us. About six months ago, I read a book that changed my life, changed a bunch of people that I know, including some people in this church, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I highly recommend this book. Memorize the name and seriously, go buy this book and read it. I hated reading before I read this book. And then I seriously, I, you can ask Alex and Dave. Like, I'd be just like sitting there trying to read it. I'm like, I hate this. But this book pretty much changed my outlook on that. And uh, I highly recommend it. One of the principles that it talks about in the book is the idea of taking time out of your days and time out of your weeks for daily mini-Sabbaths. The book calls them the daily office, which is kind of an older church tradition. And then also taking one entire day out of your week to just rest in God. And while you rest, you have to trust God that he can run his world without you. And it's counterintuitive to think that you can rest so much and still thrive, but God does something amazing in your heart. When you take times to rest in him, before I read this book and started taking little timeouts with God each day, my life was really chaotic. I mean it didn 't look like it on the outside, but on the inside, my soul was tired, and I was worn down constantly. I was an emotional wreck too. it had something it had an effect on my emotions too. I had a short temper with the people that I love. there was one time i 'll give it. Kind of a dark example, but I was driving with my wife Mac and my son Sammy, and my, wa- my wife was asking me question after question about something that I had forgotten to do earlier in the week because my soul and mind was so dilapidated and, and scrambled. And finally, I just I got so frustrated that I parked the car and I just gripped the steering wheel and I screamed as loud as I could and just started pounding the steering wheel out of rage. And I that's not me, I don't think it is, and something was terribly wrong. I scared my wife and I scared my son, and that was kind of a wake-up call for me. But I soon read a book that, this book that introduced me to the idea of resting in God, and really my life hasn't been the same since. So after I read this book about many Sabbaths and uh, Sabbaths throughout the week, I started taking three 30-minute segments throughout the day, one in the morning, one in the noon time, and one at night, to just rest, be still before the Lord, and recognize His presence, read Scripture, pray, and just recognize the value that God placed on my life. We are His children, after all. And there's something incredible that happened in my soul when I started doing this. I didn't think I had time at first, taking all that time to, to spend time with God, but I built up to it and made small sacrifices here and there, and God honored that by really blessing me with a peace of heart and a peace of mind, calmed my soul in a way that I really can't explain with words. It was just amazing. I was walking in a newfound peace, a newfound freedom, and that freedom came from God. So internally, I'm I'm more at peace now when I'm faithful to spending those times out with God and just realizing that I need to stop from my life and breathe and just be in God's presence. And as a byproduct of that peace in my life, I'm able to handle everyday life better. I haven't had one of those screaming moments since, which is good. (laughs) But... uh. When talking about Sabbaths and daily mini-Sabbaths, I like to look at it like this. Life is a road trip to heaven. We're all on a journey, right? And God wants to speak to us and wants us to stop and to see His beauty. He wants us to hear His voice and to feel His presence. But if we drive too fast on our road trip, the trees become a blur and you miss out on life. Imagine if you're driving through Yellowstone National Park in a Corvette Z06 and you're just blasting through there full throttle. I mean, who would do that? You'd be missing out on so much. But if we stop and we get out of the car, we get to see something amazing. We get to see something beautiful. We get to get out and we get to be in the presence and the glory and the majesty of God in his creation. And it's the same way with God's presence. We need to stop from our road trip. And we need to just get out and realize that God's presence and beauty is all around us. And we just need to soak it in every once in a while. And then the remainder of our journey, the remainder of our life, will be so much more enriched because of our stopping and our resting in him. So I'm going to assign us some homework this week. I know you guys thought you were done with that years ago, but um, let's do this. Fifteen minutes each day, starting this week, take a mini Sabbath for fifteen minutes. Take five of those minutes and just sit still, be in silence and just breathe, slow down, And when we sit down, when I started doing this, my mind was going 1,000 miles an hour. I can't sit still. And the reason for that is because, you know, what do I need to do? I need to do stuff today. Oh, you have the next thing on your mind. But you have to forget about all your responsibilities and trust that God can run his world without you for 15 minutes. So after that five minutes of silence, read Psalm 4. Read it slowly. Take five minutes and read Psalm 4 slowly. And if you read it through once, read it again until that five minutes is up. And just breathe in the words. Or if you have another favorite psalm, read that for five minutes. And then in the last five minutes, pray to God whatever's on your heart. And I, I promise you, God will be able to move in your heart and, uh, you know, I he's showed me that through this experience as well so one parallel with jubilee and resting that I want to make is that this is a foreshadowing of things to come it points to a time of ultimate rest when we finally arrive at our destination after the long road trip and we get to be in God's presence forever the physical life will be over and nothing remains but the presence of the Lord, and no more debts of sin remain. All of our guilt, all of our sadness, all of our pain will be over, and every physical worry of this world will be gone, and we will finally rest in the arms of the Father. But until then, we get to have a preview of that glory to come if we just take the time out of our day to just be with God, to rest in Him. He wants us to do that. And that's one way that he frees us. And he says, here's your freedom. You take it. So what we can see through Jubilee is that God wants us to be free. And Jesus is the culmination of that message of freedom throughout the years. And his work is done. And he has sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. And he says to us now, here's your freedom. You take it and get this. He says, because of my sacrifice, I made you worthy to receive it. Think about that. Because of my sacrifice, I made you worthy to receive it. Jesus made you worthy to receive it by dying on the cross. And as we travel on our spiritual road trip, we get to take rest stops and we get the scenic overlook. And we get to see the beauty and the presence of the Lord as we take times out of our day to just rest and be in God's presence. And that's a precursor of what's to come, which is ultimate freedom as we are in heaven with the Lord. The peace of Jesus Christ is offered to us here, now, and every day. And the message is, God wants us to be free. You take it.